This is All Things ANSYS, a podcast from the technical support staff at PADT. Episode 41, what has been added to ANSYS Additive with 2019 R2, and an update on the news and events in the ANSYS and PADT worlds. Hi there, I'm Eric Miller, and welcome to this episode. I'm recording today from the Hilton Garden Inn in Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania. If you uh, have been to the ANSYS headquarters before, you may may have stayed here. It's up the hill a bit uh, from from the main ANSYS headquarters. There's some hotels there right by where ANSYS HQ is. Uh, This was the original hotel in the neighborhood, and for decades, it was really the only hotel near uh, ANSYS. And so a lot of us have stayed here through the years, so hopefully it brings back fond memories for some of you. Uh, They have upgraded it. It's uh, been totally totally redone on the inside, so it's really nice. Um, and it, it has a special uh, memory for many of us old-timers who have been coming here for probably 20 years now. Uh, I'm here because uh, we're, we're, we're getting together all the elite channel partners to interact with ANSYS management, salespeople, support, development. This is our kind of annual chance to come and give feedback to everyone about what you, our, our users that we take care of, care about. Um, and we also get to dig deep into what's going on, what's new, what's coming, um, and talk about uh, making the ANSYS world a better place, um, and none of which I can share with you. But it's a lot of fun, and it's a great group of people. Maybe uh, if you if you get your answers from someone other than PADT, uh, maybe they're here as well. And uh, it's, a, it's a good time for all good people. So <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about the podcast itself. We had uh, uh, 12,001 downloads, uh, over 40 episodes. I can do the math on that. That's still 300 per episode. We're kind of stuck there. Um, I thought I'd look at some more in-depth statistics. I, w- I was looking this stuff up on the plane flying here from Phoenix. Um, so who listens to our podcast? 5,500 of the people who uh, we get track are from the U.S. That's 47.2%. Germany is number two at 8% with 954 downloads. The UK comes in second, or third, at 659 downloads at 5.5%. And then India and Canada are tied for fourth and fifth with around 425 downloads, and that's a 3.5%. It's interesting that there's only 66 downloads from China. I expected more. There's a lot of ANSYS users there and they who do speak English. Um, and I wonder if it's been blocked or they can't monitor it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, or, or maybe I need to figure out a way to, to get more listeners in China. Um, of those 5,500 people in the U.S., uh, our number one state is California. That's not a surprise. There's a lot of users there, 620. Uh, that's 11% of the U.S. Uh, Arizona's number two. I kind of expected it to be number one, but it's uh, 486, uh, and that's 8%. Massachusetts actually came in third uh, with a little bit over 400 listeners at 7.5%. And then Pennsylvania and New York uh, round out the, uh, the top five. But um, I will note that when I scrolled all the way down to the bottom, I saw there were 529 downloads, which is 9%, um, which is actually more than the number of people who downloaded from Arizona who were other state. Um, So I think that the tracking sometimes can't tell what state people are in. So it's interesting to know if you care about statistics like I do. It's kind of interesting stuff. Um, we also got a couple questions recently. People have asked, what do we use for the podcast? Uh, maybe to avoid the noise problems we have? I don't know. But um, what we do is we record um, the actual conversations we have, either in Adobe Audition, like I'm doing right now, or with Skype. Uh, when we're talking to someone like this interview today with Doug Otis, I use Skype to record that uh, over the internet usually works fairly well. Um, and then we use Adobe Audition to edit and put it all together. And then Trevor uses Podbean uh, to uh, as our kind of our host that actually pushes it out to all the other podcasting sites. So even if you get it from, say, um, the Apple uh, store, you still are, are getting it from Podbean. Uh, so that's where all statistics come from as well. We really like their service and it's free. If you want to know more about the mechanics, uh, shoot us an email at podcast at PADTINC.com. And Trevor and I will try and answer whatever questions you have if you're interested in a little bit in podcasting. Um, we're really working hard on the sound quality. Uh, I'm using a, a headphone mic right now, and I'm, I'm not happy with it. Um, so I think I, I definitely need to upgrade my, my headphone Mac, uh, headphone microphone, and get one of those little puff things for it so they don't pop, pop, pop keep making all those noises when I breathe in and out. 
Anyway, enough about the podcast. Um, let's let's go into our discussion. The reason why we're here today. One of my favorite topics is our interview today, and we're going to talk about with our super duper tech support engineer Doug Otis about Ansys Additive at Ansys 2019 R2. It's worth a listen, even if you don't do metal additive manufacturing. It's I think it's a really good look at how Ansys is really um, adding more specific functionality in various areas. Right for for decades, this was just a general purpose tool, and we were kind of given the task as users of making it work for our application. Right, so if we wanted to model additive manufacturing, we have to write our own scripts, our own things. It was a lot of fun, but it was kind of a pain in the butt. Uh, now they're taking these same tools that we have, or acquiring new tools, and putting them together into workflow that really makes it uh, much easier, much more powerful to model certain things. Uh, this is a great example, um, the 3D printing, uh, how it's applied there. But maybe it's an area that you're involved in and you want to understand uh, how to do that. An- Ansys is really doing a good job of making tools that are specific while still keeping that general uh, product. But if you care about 3D printing like I do, uh, if you have a metal 3D printing printer especially, you need to listen to this. This tool is really coming along, and we'll talk about it uh, in depth. So let's get down to our discussion with Doug. Okay, uh, I'm here with Doug Otis. I'm sitting in the Tempe office, and Doug, where are you located right now? I'm located in PADT's Colorado office in Littleton. And what's the temperature there? Uh, it's a warm one today. I think we're actually going to hit 100. Ooh, okay. And so, but it, it, the low was in like the 70s. Okay. So. Yeah, we're 112 right now. So, um, low of 90. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm inside. Um, so, um, we're here to talk today about what's new and, and exciting in the ANSYS additive product. And I want to start, uh, for those that aren't familiar with the product, if you could just describe what, what is ANSYS additive, what modules does that include, what, what is the product? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a rather large product suite, and uh, it's kind of interesting, just the overlap that you can get. And so um, you have anything from you know, uh, STL processing within uh, space claim, and I'll talk. I guess we'll talk more about yeah. the additions to it later on. But just you know, basic processing of STLs, orientations, you know, converting STLs, cleaning them up, uh, just working with what to print, mm-hmm. and then um, basically you can go two different directions um, with STL data to figure out how it prints. Um, and so you have essentially a module within the mechanical interface called workbench additive, or that's, that's what people should be calling it. Um, that is, you know, to boil it down to something very basic, it's a transient thermal solution linked to a uh, static structural simulation in order to capture the stresses and strains. Mm-hmm. Um, so that uses this, you know, the the base, the core APDL solver mm-hmm. uh, for everything. You have access to all the, your favorite element types, context, all that kind of stuff. Um, but the, the underlying assumption to that is you're not really looking at what happens during the process. The overall kind of assumption is uh, this pr- prints perfectly. I don't have any mm-hmm. keyholing, any defects, anything like that. And so it's more for people that are you know, getting into the print game mm-hmm. and wondering what happens if I try to print this, will it survive the print? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one product mm-hmm. outside of that, outside of the entire workbench platform is um, ANSYS additive. And so there's additive print and additive science. And mm-hmm. so these do not use the APDL solver. Um, there is very little, there's no real meshing involved, anything right. like that. It's, it's very kind of, um, you know, the additive print is, um, you know, more for uh, looking at, you know, machine specific behavior. And so it has essentially three different solves that you can do on it that give you corresponding, you know, less uh, uh, fidelity, more fidelity. Um, and so it allows you to kind of investigate, you know, on this specific machine. And the, and the real power behind it is you can tune additive print and additive science to the machine that you have in house. And so that way you can figure out 
how the part distorts, how to uh, correct an STL so that it distorts into the correct shape mm-hmm. um, and go from there. And, and additive science is uh, a, a kind of a, an additional step on that. It's also in the additive program, um, but that is uh, kind of the go forward looking at, you know, porosity estimations, microstructure calculations, mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff. So really cool. And, and you know, I should have started uh, by pointing out that this is for just metal laser powder bed, correct? Cor- correct. You can convert the, um, the workbench additive to look at the direct energy deposition okay. method. Um, and I, I'm, I'm going to blank on, on the acronyms for everything because yes, it's going to keep up. But, but basically, yeah, where the, the underlying assumption is that all of this is metal, all of this is powder bed. Uh, you know, I think you could wave your hands enough and convince yourself you could make the uh, workbench additive mm-hmm. essentially work for uh, a polymer, but that's not the intended use. Right. Um, and obviously, you'd have to go through some uh, kind of personal validation on that. Right. right, to get the properties and everything right. Cool, cool. So we've got all these different modules. It's been out for a little while now. People are using it. So let, let's start with the space claim uh, based portion of the tool suite. You know, what's what's changed with this latest release? So the in the latest release, um, it's actually pretty interesting because you know a lot of times. Um, you know, just figuring out what orientation, how to stack your parts on your base plates to print it. Like that's, you know, there's, there's a lot of effort that goes into that and, and just trying to figure out, you know, what's going to give me the most distortion, the most parts, the, you know, the fastest build. And so, you know, the big thing right now is, um, and I, I don't want to, it's, it's a kind of a gross simplification, but it's it's much more user friendly kind of across the entire additive suite. All these wow. little features that kind of build off of what we've done in the past. Mm-hmm. But in uh, Space Claim, there's a new tool that essentially you specify that you're building something, and it asks you to essentially where's the base plate, what's the size, and then you can play with the orientation, and it uses a rules base, so we're not actually solving anything. Okay. So it's essentially looking at orientations and stuff like that in order to figure out, you know, if I print it in this position or this angle, this orientation, well, am I more likely to get more distortion or less distortion? Am I more likely to have a slower build or a faster build Um, and stuff like that? And so it creates kind of a composite map so that you can play around with the orientation without having to do any solution just to see, you know, where, how should I orient this? So that's the first kind of tool. And then next, there is the ability to create a whole bunch of custom supports. And so the, you know, when Ansys first had this additive suite come out, um, the ability to support, you know, uh, I, I believe a, a printer in Colorado called it tribal knowledge. You know, we know how to support <laughs> the part so that when we print it, it, it doesn't break, even though sometimes it does break. Um, you know, there, there's all these different ways that you can support a part. And, you know, su- the support is not just from a mechanical support, but also from getting the heat out. Um, and so all sorts of different ways, you know, to create rod supports, the, I think it's the heart cell uh, shape, all these different ways to essentially build the STL support mm-hmm. so that you could then feed that in and see if what that does to the simulation. And so long story short, the ability to essentially play around with different orientations in order to see what that does from a build time um, and distortion uh, probability, I guess, and also uh, how much support you would need, and then the ability to identify overhanging faces and create the support within a uh, space claim. So I, I think it's it's really a good point to, to mention that one of the big changes I've seen in Ansys development over the last uh, you know five or six years is a focus on workflow. So we, we used to really focus on feature and function, right? I need a tool that uh, helps me design supports. Now the approach which we're seeing with the with this tool especially is what's the workflow to go from a uh, a component on my screen towards a buildable part? And I think yeah. this is a great example of we need these tools to get there. So yeah, and I mean I think you could see you see that 
pretty much in any ANSYS product. Right. They I, mean, lock rust. I mean, just just looking at like the smart fracture mechanics. Right. You know, they 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 developed it and it worked with very specific material laws. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as it was introduced, everyone else was like, "Well, what if I wanted to do this?" And right. so it's and so it's kind of that development cycle that has to happen. Yeah. And so you know, leading edge, leading edge, but at least we're on the kind of the second and the third right. uh, kind of kind of round of this. And so you know, the first release. You know, supports where we'll tell you how to support it. Right. You know? And, and right. now it's like, oh, maybe you, never mind. <laughs> why, why don't you tell us how you want to support yeah. it? And so it's 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 a nice uh, uh, you know improvement to to match industry rather than to you know mm-hmm. the other way around of you know have, having to translate it in order to run it right um, somewhere. That's a really good point. So so anything else new in space claim before we move on to workbench? <laughs> I think that was it. Just a lot of stuff. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, the ability to create those supports and and other stuff. So those are the things that um, essentially stand out out. um, in my mind. Good, good, good. And then, uh, so let's let's talk about the workbench additive tool. Besides the fact that the GUI now has a ribbon on the top of it, what has changed in in the workbench interface? (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, I think you can. You know, from my mind, my point of view, the biggest like uh, a mechanical uh, addition for topology optimization is is on the topology optimization side. Yeah. And so, kind of the the introduction of the the level set uh, numeric method of creating an optimized part. And so, you know, the, the default, the baseline, the one that pretty much any topology optimization tool uses is, you know, a density based where right. you're playing around with, you know, a pseudo density, do, is this element on or off? Mm-hmm. And you kind of, you know, boil it down to a gradient solver, see what happens. And then um, it can be fairly sensitive to change. And usually uh, it requires a little bit of cleanup uh, just to get, you know, something usable that you'd like to print. And so um, this level set looks really promising of like kind of playing around with it. Um, and I'm not a mathematician. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I read about what the level set methodology is and I glass over just with the details. But really, it's just a way of, you know, it seems like it creates uh, more, uh, a better representation of a closed surface. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the way that that we've described it is you wind up kind of pushing against the supports in your topology optimization and it creates a, a more watertight, much more clean mm-hmm. uh, looking optimized shape that doesn't require as much uh, uh, cleanup. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the downsides to it is, you know, it can take a little bit longer because it isn't just kind of playing around with the pseudo density mm-hmm. and n- not necessarily all of the manufacturing constraints are supported, but yeah. that's, those, those are, there's roadmaps to handle all of that. So um, it should be a, a good addition to it. And so that's, that's not even like the workbench additive. We're not solving, you know, mm-hmm. stresses and strains to the print process. That's just coming up with a shape that can essentially only be printed. Only be printed. Yeah, and it's and part so, of the additive suite. Topological optimization comes with the additive suite license, correct? Uh, that's, that's a, it's an interesting topic on the licensing. <laughs> so, so you have access to to you know the density based. Um, and I, I would actually have to double check. I don't remember what the um, uh, level set requires, but topology optimization just running that by itself. That's you know mechanical enterprise. Okay. Or it's you know the, the standard ANSYS license. Okay. Um, whereas if you were doing the, um, oh no, I'm blanking on what the inside of it is called. The like the infill uh, optimization um, that requires a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the you know the the meat of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so that re- optimizing the density off of that requires an additive key. Okay. Okay. So, or the additive suite key. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of the baseline. And then as far as, um, the workbench additive, um, you know, it, we're in R2. And so this is kind of a combination of R1, R2, the, the introduction of like a layered tent, um, being able to handle complicated shapes. That was a big one. And, and that's now been, you know, you now have that option as you're walking through a wizard. That was one thing I forgot to mention is, the benefit of using this workbench additive uh, tool within mechanical is there's a wizard that walks you through. Nice. You basically set your machine parameters. Is there symmetry? How do I want to mesh this? And, you know, I can import um, 
external support files now and essentially have, you know, a, the, they call, they call it the voxelizer kind of right. creates a pseudo representation of the, uh, actual, um, support structure, mm. uh, so that you get the right thermal conductivity and, and support. Good. You know, I was, I was kind of equated to how ANSYS handles the trace mapping on a PCB. We, right. we essentially have a, a, you have an independent mesh. This actually sits on top of some composite structure, whether that's, you know, PCB traces or some type of, you know, support structure that you, you know, you're encompassing part of it. And then we essentially scale the material properties to account for, you know, what it actually represents. Cool. Um, and then, uh, you know, on top of that, in Workbench Additive, you can have essentially non-build steps in your simulation. So if you wanted to, you know, play around with what happens, you know, with, you know, as I torque bolt down on my base plate and how does that distort, and then oh. I start printing. And so you have these uh, essentially steps that don't necessarily have to do with anything, mm -hmm. um, about the build process, mm -hmm. so just playing around with that. That's really good. That's so, cool. yeah. um, so you know, th those are the essentially the big additions at, at R two. Cool. Uh, good, 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 good. Um, and then, um, I you know I think the uh, one of the questions I always have is um, which tool should a given user use and. I, can we even answer that? Is that just one of those things where they have to – it's so problem-dependent. We really need to know what they want to achieve before we decide whether it's – Yeah, yeah. And so uh, before, before we answer that, mm -hmm. we didn't talk about new additions to the additive science yes. and additive. Yeah. And so just, just to kind of hit the, the high level yeah. on that, yeah. uh, the biggest one is going to – and this, uh, this should have been in R1, but um, the ability to use your own support structure. Yes. And so yes. the way that it works is you actually import two different files. You uh, import your part file. You import your support file. Nice. Uh, there are different controls on whether or not you want to lock those together in, in case you want to play around with the Mac. The, the, you know, do I want to build this off of the base plate or do I want to play around with different heights that I'm mm -hmm. printing from? Um, uh, another one is you can actually change where the files are stored. Um, oh. It's, it's kind of a funny one. It's, you know, the, the additive print additive science was originally kind of like a web interface. Right. So right. it just went wherever it wanted to, you know, wherever <laughs> it was told to. You didn't really have a whole lot of uh, things going. The other thing is, you know, I'd mentioned we can uh, additive print can do kind of a reverse compensation. Or right. Basically, as you print this, it's going to distort. And so if you want it to figure out how to distort the STL so that it, you know, basically deforms into the correct shape, um, you can now basically put in a list okay. of uh, 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 scale factors off of that and have positive and negative. So that way you can play around with, you know, uh, kind of comparing what additive print calculates as the correct distorted STL versus what you're actually seeing um, cool. in the shop. Um, and then, let's see, and then I guess, yeah, the other thing was, uh, you know, when you close it, you can actually keep it running in the system tray. So you can hit solve or okay. click run, and it'll start start going through that. Um, but yeah, it's it, going back to the other question, like who uses what? Mm -hmm. It's a very um, interesting uh question and, and the answer is it depends and so you know if if you're just an engineer and you want to basically see you know will this survive the print process and i don't have a machine in-house i just want to you know if i'm doing some type of study you know where i'm combining two parts together what happens if i try to print this will it crack will it survive will it distort uh, a lot, um, then probably you want to be using the workbench additive because you're not too concerned about uh, the machine parameters. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, that uses the standard mechanical interface. You do all sorts of stuff and, and kind of play around with it there. If you have a machine in house and you can, and you can run a couple, you know, test cases and actually scale, uh, you know, put the right scaling parameters into additive science, additive print, then, you know, that's that's where, you know, if someone is operating the machine, mm -hmm. then they should be using additive science, additive print. I'm sorry, not additive science, additive print. Additive. So that way, you know, when they are given an STL, you know, because basically the kind of workflow is an engineer is going to give them, mm -hmm. make this. Yes. And so then they have to figure out 
will this machine break this mm-hmm. thing? And so it's, it's an, it's kind of an additional level of detail, okay. right. um, uh, looking at the specific machine, understanding how we introduce orthotropic strains based off of a given machine. Mm-hmm. Then if you want to start playing around with, all right, well, what happens, you know, I want to play, see what happens due to different scan patterns due to a specific build file from my in-house. And I can, you know, start looking at more and more detailed information on, you know, just essentially all the, um, uh, what do they call it? The kind of linear power, you know, right. essentially the, the scan speed and the laser power, mm-hmm. you know, play around with different combinations. So if I'm concerned about, I want to see what happens when I change the laser wattage, what happens when I change machine specific settings, then that would be entirely with an additive uh, print. And then additive science is, you know, this step above where, you know, you know the, the big question is, all right, well, I want to be able to predict what, you know, the porosity is right. in this. I want to be able to predict, you know, the microstructure. And that's, you know, there's still kind of, you know, that's, that's a work in progress. And right. so, you know, if you look at kind of what's released versus what's beta, um, we can basically do single bead simulations and then kind of a cube uh, representation or a cube build. Those are the, the, the kind of release products as far as additive science goes. Right. And from that, you can start looking at, you know, what's my grain structure, what's my porosity and stuff like that. And the reason that that's important is, you know, after you print and you see how much it distorts, you know, after I remove the base material, all that stuff, you can make judgments on it. Do I need to heat treat this to relieve it? Do I have to hip it? Do I have to do all this kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. So a lot of this post-processing, you know, people are simulating it as, as a creep law. Right. Essentially a, a dislocation uh, uh, simulation. But the creep behavior and the creep law would, dic- would be dependent on what the microstructure is. Mm-hmm. And so if you're uh, able to predict what the grain structure looks like and how things could potentially set up, then you could choose the appropriate creep law. And so, you know, it's not just as simple as, uh, you know, we can run the simulation in, in additive print, see that it's going to distort as soon as I cut the base off. So now I know I have to do some post-processing on it in order mm-hmm. to relieve it so that it doesn't, you know, essentially taco shell itself. Right. Um, and so, you know, you have all these different different things. You can then run additive science and understand, all right, well, how long, you know, because you know, creep is going to be time dependent. Mm-hmm. And so how long do I need to heat treat this? What what happens if I do all these different post-processor steps? Very, very useful. Okay. That's – and, and this is – is this the second release for additive science or the first? I can't remember. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I think it's the second release. I think so. Um, yeah. I, I, I think it's actually been a drop down in the additive interface mm-hmm. since like 19 ish. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's, you know, full disclosure, it's been one that I've been scared to touch because it's, yeah. it's, you know, I don't want to say that, you know, it, a lot has been happening. There's a lot of, you know, research and development that goes on uh, with it. And so it's one of those where, you know, only certain materials are supported for that kind of simulation. And so um, basically it's whatever material properties that you that come with an additive, you know, you can kind of modify those a little bit, but that's pretty much yeah. what you can run a simulation. Yeah. I'm excited to where that product's going to, where, where science is headed. I mean, that's some very sophisticated. And, and when you compare the ANSYS tool suite for simulating metal additive to some of the other more CAD based ones, it's going to be really where we're going to dif- differentiate ourselves in capability is this very high end, um, post the full, the full cycle from, from build through, you know, the final post-process part. So it's gonna be pretty cool stuff. Yeah. But it's still, yeah, so, yeah it, it, would, it would be valid for me to say that it's all of these tools are still a work in progress. Um, There's one of them. You know, I, th- I think, uh, you know, I think a lot of the, you know, I feel like most of the additive print and the ad and the workbench additive, like there's some solid foundations and you can, you should be able to feel pretty confident in, in those. Um it's it's this microstructure which include you know it's a thermal solve looking that then looks at kind of melt pool size velocities that kind of thing and so you know there's a lot of things that go into play and then you start coming into you know different materials and so you know some of the 
I think it's like it's a sixty sixty one aluminum, which has like, you know, it's not only it's not just aluminum, but it has like an, an additional exothermic reaction to it. And so <laughs> there, there's a lot, you know, once we you start combining chemistry plus melt pool plus all of that, um, you know, I think it'll be useful. Um, it'll just take time to build out the material library. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's usable now, but still growing. Yeah. Right, right. So I mean, if if the question is so, so kind of uh, to overly grossly simplify this, if you don't have a machine in house and you just want to see, can I print this? Workbench added it. Right. If you have a machine in house, you want to start seeing. You know, I want to make sure that I'm not printing something that distorts and doesn't pass inspection. Additive print. If you want to start playing around with different machine parameters mm-hmm. that would be additive print and additive science. So, you know, that the higher end solves on additive print allows you to, you know, read in a build file, specify your own scan direction, stuff like that. Cool. So that's kind of the, the discrepancy. And so if you're kind of a material scientist who's looking at, you know, you know, specific microstructure uh, information, then additive science. But if you're making stuff, additive print. print. Cool. Very good to know. Oh, excellent. Um, Beta features that people should be aware of. Is there anything you want to point out? <laughs> I, uh-huh. I, I, I did not prep Doug on that. Yeah, yeah. Thought of that. Told, I, I, I just thought of that. that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, some of, I mean, some of the beta stuff that that was released kind of in. 2019 R2 is really more, at least from my memory, deals with the topology optimization. Okay. Um, and so a lot of that is uh, basically the overhang constraint dealing with um, uh, inc- exclusions, like regions that are excluded from being optimized or including them. Okay. Um, and so that's, that's the kind of the big thing that uh, um, stands out. Um uh, to me, I, I don't know. That's that's the thing that. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's anything on the. I'm not aware of anything on the beta side that we should say you should try this out. It's kind of like, if you're aware of it and you're investigating that area, check it out. But I, I sometimes with some of these tools when they're growing, the beta feature is something everybody should take a look at. But I don't think that's true. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, I mean, there there are a couple different beta uh, solvers for additive science. Um, <laughs> But those are those are ones that um, yeah I, I haven't played around with, and I would you know, I, I personally would probably be uh, wait for yeah. wait a little bit some maturity on that yeah let let the academic people play with it yeah <laughs> yeah so if you're if you're listening to your college student and you're interested in this that we we're hoping that you will try out the beta features <laughs> but if you're in production not um, okay well that's I, I actually learned quite a bit on this and uh, I gotta. I gotta play with it a little bit more. Um, what else? Anything else you want to add, or do we pretty much cover everything? It covered most of it. Um, yeah, off the top of my head. Yeah, good, good. Well, um, we appreciate it. We're we're looking forward to the next release. This 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 tool is developing at a very quick rate, uh, and uh, the more feedback, I guess that's one thing I'll make an appeal to those of you who are listening that are using the tool. Yeah. Is Please, please, please let development know. Uh, we are I kind of Doug kind of mentioned this, where you know we put out the initial tools, and then we got to figure out what people really want to do. Um, and so that feedback's really important that you get that. Yeah, and we we facilitated a few phone calls between customers using uh, the additive science, additive print mm-hmm. with uh, developers, and so um, so yeah, it's 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 one of those where you know uh, yeah. Making stuff in a vacuum versus understanding what people mm-hmm. want slash need slash prefer. So definitely get with if you're our uh, if you're our customer, uh, contact us. If you're someone else is the person you get answers from, let them know. If, if they're not able to make that connection, you know, reach out. We can, might be able to help because uh, we're working closely with the development team because of our our unique position is not just a, a, an Ansys Elite Channel Partner, but also a we we have a metal 3D printer, so uh, we understand a little bit better than most people in the Ansys world. So we're pretty close to those guys. Um, well, I really appreciate it. This is an exciting thing, um, especially because it does merge two worlds, actually all three worlds of PADT, right? We do simulation, we do design, and we do 3D printing. Um, doing doing this kind of simulation on an additive part merges all three of them together, so it's a lot of fun for us. 
Cool. Um, thanks, Doug. Enjoy the rest of the day. Have a great weekend. And uh, we will talk to you soon about something else, I'm sure. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Thanks. That was a great talk. I always learn something. Um, I always try to stump him, and I did a little bit by asking him a question he wasn't prepared for, but I'm sure he'll come back with answers. Um, it, it was good. Um, he, he always knows a lot, and do feel free to reach out to us if you want to learn more. Uh, we also, our Doug is actually doing a webinar on this very topic, so a lot of times we talk about an interview here on the podcast, and then we'll do a webinar so you can actually see what he's talking about, and that's going to be on July 17th. So as always, go to brighttalk.com, search for PADT, um, and you will find all of our webinars, including this one. Register for it live or recorded. You can listen to it and see what was going on uh, on the screen, what the tools actually look like on the screen. Speaking of 3D printing, let's pause for a commercial break and talk about something that PADT does, which is 3D printing services. Enough blah, blah, blah about simulation and ANSYS. Let's change the subject and talk about PADT's additive manufacturing services. You have a lot of choices of where to go to get your 3D printing done. But there is no other additive manufacturing service provider like PADT. That's because we have experience, we understand engineering, and we have know-how in the additive manufacturing space. Since we purchased our first sterile lithography machine in 1994, PDT has been dedicated to partnering with our customers to make the parts they need. With our team of experts, you are not just uploading a file that we toss into a build, then sand it and maybe throw it into a box and ship it to you. We take the time to understand what you need and what your parts are for, and then we match the right process and material to those needs. And since each additive manufacturing technology has its own strengths and weaknesses, we have five different technologies in-house. Stereolithography, selective laser sintering, fused deposition modeling, multi-material and multi-color polyjet printing, metal laser powder bed fusion, metal sintering, and on-demand manufacturing with Carbon's digital light synthesis process. We have three or more different machines for each polymer process and run multiple materials on every single one, including our two metal machines. Because you listen to this podcast, you know that PADT's engineers are true experts in a wide breadth of simulation approaches. The same is true for our 3D printing services. Just as we are able to apply every physics to simulate what our customers need, we can apply every major additive technology in the same way and the same level of expertise, knowing the tools and understanding how our customers use what we produce. So next time you need some parts 3D printed of any kind, please come to the experts at PADT. We don't just know simulation inside and out. We are just as good at additive manufacturing. Visit www.padtinc.com. Email us at info at PADTINC.com, or as always, give us a call at 480-813-4884. We'd love to help you with your 3D printing needs. Okay, that's a little bit off of the ANSYS topic, but uh, many of us who do simulation also do 3D printing, so I thought I'd throw that one in there since we're talking about it anyway today. Let's move on to news. Uh, I want to talk about the stock. Um, holy crap. Uh, ANSYS closed on Friday, July 12th. I'm recording this on the 13th here in Cannonsburg at $212.28 a share. Yeah, they're way over $200 a share. It's an all-time high, and it puts their market cap at $17.8 billion with a B dollars. Um, it's a lot of money, and um, the stock is doing very, very well. And it continues to outperform the market. You know, the market has gone up, but ANSYS has done a little bit better. Uh, the last little spurt that uh, the stock had this last week gives it a year-to-date from January 1, 54% increase. And the S&P 500, which has done quite well this year, it kind of tanked in December, so it's done really well the rest of the year, 23.12%. Uh, so double what the S&P 500 is doing uh, in a very strong market. And uh, you know, let's take the time because it because it is kind of a milestone hitting that over you know sustaining over two hundred dollars a share and hitting that uh, over two ten even at two twelve. Um, let's look at it a little bit more in depth. So if I look at the last year, so the last twelve months, the market went down in December, like I said, and um, was strong in July of last year. So if you if you go on to like Yahoo Finance, you can see the stock kind of went down. The S and P five hundred went down, and then they both went up again. So for the last 12 months, the stock is up 18.7%. 
That's double or more than double, quite a bit more than double the 7.7% that the S&P 500 has gone up. So that's a really good return on a 12-month investment, 18.7%. If we look at it for five years, wow, it gets even better. The stock's gone up 171% versus the S&P 500 that's gone up 50%. So three times better than the average of the market, uh, the broad market. And then just for fun, if we go back to the IPO uh, in November of uh, 2000, or 1996, $1 uh, in ANSYS would now be worth $72. That's uh, over 7,000% return over 23 years. And yes, the $10,000 that I took out of my savings that I was going to be living off of when we started PADT back then um, – yeah, that $10,000 I almost invented, invested at that point would now be worth $720,000. I probably would have sold it at the at a bad time anyway, but uh, sigh, hindsight, etc. Um, what does it mean? You know, why do I care about this? Why do, why do I think it's important enough to bring up in these podcasts? Because it's more better for us users out there. It means they can, they, they, you know, the people in development or people in tech support uh, have a better chance of hiring top people. They can make investments in new products, uh, both through de- uh, developing it in-house or acquisition. Just a strong company makes smarter decisions and makes more investments. A company that's got a weak stock, you know, we've all worked for corporations where we've seen what happens when that happens. So this is very good stuff. Uh, they are going to be doing uh, a release of their data for Q2 um, and the full first half of the year in, on August 5th. That's when they do their investment. That's when they release their numbers and they do their investor call. Um, so a couple of podcasts before then, uh, but when, when it does happen, uh, I'll dedicate some time to looking at that. Uh, one of the things I'm always curious about is their cash. Um, there's 600 million as of March that was reported. So we'll have to see how much of that they spent and how much of it they added to it uh, from a strength standpoint. So that's their powder to do big acquisitions or little acquisitions, which is really important to those of us who are benefiting. Uh, like Granta was the, one of the last ones. And uh, boy, the more we dig into that code, um, the more I, I really like it. That's a material database. And well, I shouldn't say that. It's a lot more. It is a set of tools for dealing with materials. And uh, it's a lot of capability. And we'll, of course, be covering it here in the podcast as time goes by. And we learn more as we use it. ANSYS News. Uh, there's a bunch of press releases that went out. Um, they're press releases, so they talk about how wonderful everybody and everything is. Uh, I bring it up because uh, of the four last press releases, one of them was on digital thread and three were on autonomous vehicles, um, planes and, and cars. There's a real push uh for ANSYS to really add simulation in this area of creating these digital mock-ups and, and being part of the digital thread, and also even more so uh, as we do more autonomous cars and autonomous uh, aircraft, ANSYS is playing a really important role uh, through acquisition and through development. We've got a full tool suite that really enables these technologies. It's a big deal. Um, and what's important is not just that, hey, we add a new capability, but leaders in the industry are partnering with ANSYS in these areas. I, I find it really exciting, and, and it is the future, and we're, we're really glad to be part of it. We're learning a lot as, as we get more and more into that whole area. Um, PDT, the, the big news uh, that I want to report is last week I was in Denver. Um, I was up in the Denver office. Uh, ironically, Doug, I think, was in New Mexico. We, we rarely are in the same place at the same time. But um, we were invited to take part in something called the Commercial Vehicle Clean Tech Challenge. And this is put on by an industry group in the trucking world, the technology side of, of long-haul trucking, that are looking at more efficient, less polluting ways to move things around the country, around the world. Uh, big players were there like Kenworth and Toyota and um, Great Dane, uh, other companies whose names I should remember, but they're big players in the trucking industry. And we were asked to talk about our fuel cell blower products. Uh, it's something we did five, 10 years ago, quite a bit of. And it kind of faded away because the hydrogen world kind of faded away, but we're seeing it come back. They were very interested in what we were talking about. Everybody's got a hydrogen fuel cell program going of one kind or another. And so it's a great sign, uh, something that we was near and dear to our heart, which is hydrogen fuel cells are coming back. Uh, trucking is a great application, especially hybrid, where we're using fuel cells to charge batteries rather than a diesel engine. So we're getting that zero, true zero emission, and they can uh, don't have to recharge uh, those batteries quite so often. 
listen to this podcast to learn more as we get more involved in that world. Let's talk about uh, the PDT blog. Our support burden uh, continues to go up. We added uh, some new customers in the last uh, month or two, uh, quite a few actually. So, so the guys have been really busy, but we still managed to get out two uh, really nice uh, posts. One is from Ted Harris, who heads up our tech support group. Uh, many of you hopefully know him. And he, um, you know, there's a new interface in 2019, uh, R2. It's a, in Ansys Mechanical, I should say. There's a new interface. Uh, they've redone the top of the menu um, to be more like Microsoft Office Now rather than Microsoft Office 15 years ago. Um, and it's really cool. Uh, I really like it a lot. Uh, Ted has been using it more than me, and he wrote a great article, very insightful, about the five takeaways from the new user interface in Ansys Mechanical. So if you're afraid of it, or if you're struggling with it, or if you just want to know what's going on, check out that blog post. And then uh, Robert McCatherine, who is our support engineer, one of our support engineers in Texas, he did his first post. Uh, he comes from an oil and gas, especially off-sea background. And so he did a post on automating subsea design uh, with a subtitle of, or how I learned to love parameters. So uh, it's a great uh, uh, post about the power of using parameters in simulation and talks a little bit about uh, subsea design, which is of interest to a lot of people. I'm going to mention a third pod uh, uh, post uh, on our blog, not a podcast, a post on our blog, uh, 3D printing related. So um, over on the 3D printing side, uh, our, our number one support engineer over there is uh, Pam Waterman. She's been in the 3D printing industry for quite a bit of time, and she's an expert across the board. And she did a really great article that I think is worth mentioning anybody that's working with polymer parts. It's on 3D printing polymer parts with electrostatic dissipative properties. So if you didn't know that, we can put uh, stuff inside the plastic that, uh, that allows it to not build up a charge. Um, but the printing of those is a little bit different. So she did a great article on that. That kind of feeds into this theme of uh, our expertise in the 3D printing area and hopefully applicable to those of you who are ANSYS users as well. Um, there's also a fun article about our PADT time capsule. So as part of our anniversary celebration, we made a time capsule and we stuck, uh, I think there's 30 objects inside of it and uh, uh, cut a hole in the wall way up high. You can see in the in the uh, blog post uh, where we put it way up high um, in, in one of the drywall uh, areas and we filled it full of stuff and we sealed it up. Um, we'll kind of check out the, the blog article. You'll, you'll see in there um, uh, the cover page for our first simulation report that we did, uh, a beautifully handcrafted mesh that I did 25 years ago uh, is, is there. And you'll also notice that we put some ANSYS stuff into the time capsule. Um, so check that out. Uh, those are, those are this cool article that uh, we just published last week. In the ANSYS uh, pod, uh, not, I keep saying podcast, in the ANSYS blog world, uh, my three favorite, I like to pick three, three favorites since the last podcast. Uh, the first one is ANSYS Fluent uh, related. They uh, introduced expressions recently. Uh, it was a key feature in, in CFX, the ability to kind of put equations into uh, your model without having to recompile anything. Uh, it was a really powerful capability that CFX had. And you kind of had it in Fluent. Um, I'm not an expert, but it wasn't exactly what, what people wanted. So they've modified it and changed it. And now you can enter them directly in the user interface in Fluent. So it makes it a lot easier for you to add uh, your own equations into your models. And it's a really good article on, on how to do that that uh, was posted on the ANSYS blog. The second favorite of mine is about fusion. I love nuclear fusion. I think it's the coolest thing in the world. Not, not the bomb kind, but the power kind. Um, and uh, somebody from ANSYS wrote an article called Designing Nuclear Fusion Reactors with Simulation. As you can imagine, the temperatures and the electromagnetic fields are intense, uh, the pressures as well. So um, simulation, you can't really design a fusion reactor without simulation. So they talk about that and give some examples. Uh, third is something that we're seeing more of as well, which is simulating batteries and full battery system management is becoming a real need, not just for, say, electric cars, but a lot of devices are now hybrid or are electric and we're using uh, complicated managed battery systems. And, you know, ANSYS has some pretty capabilities uh, to do system simulation and deal with embedded software um, to control that whole kind of setup with these uh, 
battery management systems. So it's a good article about how to do that. So if you're involved in any way in dealing with batteries and simulating the whole battery system or just parts of the battery system, check that out. And there's a lot more in there as well, but those are my three favorites. Let's see, event-wise, we've got a webinar uh, on additive manufacturing, as mentioned. Doug's going to talk about it on the 17th. The next month, uh, we have two webinars. One is on the 8th. Uh, no, take that back. Uh, it is on the 14th, and it's on Granta. So we're going to start talking about Granta as promised. Uh, it's, it's really powerful. Everybody should listen to that webinar and the podcast that should come out right before that. And then we've also got our update on high-frequency electromagnetic simulation. That's on August 28th. Always a really popular one. I'm looking forward to that webinar as well. Uh, for those of you in Arizona that are part of the tech community, I will be at the CEO retreat on the 8th of August. Hopefully, we'll see you there. It's in Prescott at the Hacienda Inn. We're really looking forward to that. That's always a great event to get to know all the other technical folks from Arizona. Um, there is another event that I want to talk to you about. It's not up on the uh, the full event uh, events website for Ansys. At least I couldn't find it, but I did find it in an email. It's the Ansys Innovation Conference for Northern California, and that's going to be September fourth uh, in two, uh, 2019. Of course, uh, that was just announced. It's the Hyatt Regency there at the Great America Parkway. Uh, this is a huge event. Um, the Northern California event it, it tends to be quite a bit larger than the Southern California event, and we get a wide variety of users at that one because we have so many of the uh, electronics users that we don't get to interface with as much in, at other conferences, as well as all the multi-physics and the mechanical and the, the CFD and HFSS. And it's, it's a great event. Uh, there's a lot of people, a lot of really smart people. And of course, the energy in San Jose is always very high. So check that one out. Uh, I'm not sure how many of us are going to be there, but we'll be there September 4th, 2019 in San Jose. So definitely check that one out. Uh, that's it for events. Uh, thanks. Uh, that sums it up. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, don't forget to subscribe at www.padtinc.com slash opt in to get all of our newsletters and things. Spread the word about the podcast. You know, one thing you could do is whatever service you do use, if you can give us a, a rating, that would really help. Uh, thumbs up or a heart or, or four stars or five stars or two stars or one star, whatever you want to give us, just to get the word out there that people, uh, that we exist. Um, and you can always ask questions at podcast at padtinc.com. And I want to say goodbye from Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania, where ANSYS headquarters is located. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us for the All Things ANSYS podcast, episode 41. As a reminder, this podcast is not affiliated in any way with ANSYS, Inc., and the opinions expressed are those of the people on the show only and not of their current or former employers. For more information, visit www.padtinc.com slash blog, and please share your thoughts and questions through an email to podcast at padtinc.com. See you next time.